0: Probably report Faith Talk 570 WTBN Pinellas Park and 910 WTWD Plant City. It's time for verse by verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries.
2: The first thing I want you to notice from this statement by Paul is just how different his words are now than what his words were, his previous words, about his days as a religious Pharisee. Just note how he expresses himself, how different he is. When he described himself before his conversion, notice this, it was all about him. All about him. I used to persecute the church. I was advancing in Judaism. I was extremely zealous for the traditions of my ancestors. Everything is I, I, I. But in talking now about his conversion, notice his emphasis is not on me, not on I, it's on what God did in his life.
1: Traditions can be good, but they can also be very bad, particularly when they are allowed to carry more weight than God's Word. Before his salvation, the Apostle Paul was all about tradition, but Jesus changed his life completely. This is Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. We're glad you could join us today. We're in the middle of a study to the Epistle to the Churches in Galatia. The Apostle Paul wrote this epistle to put down some false teaching that had been introduced into these young churches. Some were trying to convince these Gentile Christians that they needed to keep the Jewish law in order to be considered as followers of Christ. Further, these teachers tried to discredit Paul and his message of salvation by faith in Christ alone by saying that he was not really an apostle since he had not walked with Christ during his earthly ministry. As part of his defense, Paul tells the story of who he was before he met the Lord on the road to Damascus, where he was planning to arrest any followers of Jesus that he could find. That's where he encountered the living Christ, and that's where we pick up the story today. Here's Pastor Steve.
2: Listen to Acts 8.3. His name, by the way, before he worked amongst the Gentiles was Saul, Saul of Tarsus. That's where he was from. We read this, but Saul began ravaging the church, entering house after house, and dragging off men and women, he would put them in prison. This man was so obsessed and so persistent in opposing the gospel that he actually went through the neighborhoods in the city of Jerusalem, entering homes, rounding up every Jewish person that he discovered believed in Jesus, and he would throw them in prison. Husband and wife would be eating a meal. Family, Paul, with the Jewish authorities, if he found out they were Christians, would burst into their home, drag one, if not both of them, off to prison. Understand this, Paul's goal, though, was not simply to incarcerate these Jewish Christians in order to just, you know, put a little scare into them, throw them in prison until they learn their, their lesson, then return to traditional Judaism and have them released? No. Paul's objective in throwing them into prison was to kill them. Kill them. To exterminate every Jewish man and woman who believed in Jesus. Why do I say that? Because years later, in Acts 26.10, as Paul is giving his testimony to a man called King Agrippa, here's what he said. Acts 26, 10. Not only did I lock up many of the saints in prison, having received authority from the chief priests, but also when they were being put to death, I cast my vote against them. In other words, what he's saying is this. When these Christians were brought up on charges of blasphemy and the vote was taken in the Sanhedrin, the ruling council of Israel, of which we would assume Paul was a member, I cast my vote for them to be put to death. I said, yes, kill them. That was Paul. We know that Paul was very much involved in the stoning to death of Stephen, the first Christian martyr. We read in Acts 7 that those who stoned Stephen laid aside their robes at the feet of a young man named Saul. So it would appear that that Paul actually oversaw Stephen's death. He wasn't just there. He was the leader. He was the man leading the charge against Stephen, this great man of God. But listen, Paul didn't merely want to kill Christians. He wanted to kill the entire movement of Christianity. He wanted to wipe it off of the planet. That's why we said in Galatians 1.13, notice this. He said, I used to persecute the church of God beyond measure, and notice this, folks, and tried to destroy it. Persecuted the church with the goal of destroying it. Paul wanted to stamp out the entire church. Every believer on the planet meaning he wanted every Christian killed and the whole religion of Christianity eliminated. That was Paul's goal. Paul was just a madman on the loose, a a religious zealot, hunting down every Christian he could find so that he could destroy all who rejected his religious beliefs for faith in Jesus as the Messiah. And note this, in his zeal for Judaism, he was driven to travel to other cities he traveled to other cities outside of Jerusalem with the hopes of tracking down believers in order to bring them back to Jerusalem and have them punished by death. Let me show you this. Acts chapter 9. In Acts chapter 9, we read verses 1 and 2, now Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters for him to the synagogues at Damascus, that's in Syria, modern-day Syria, so that if he found out any belonging to the way, both men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Then we look at Acts 26. Acts 26, that passage I just referred to in which he's speaking to King Agrippa. In verse 11, we read this. And as I punished them often in all the synagogues, I tried to force them to blaspheme. And being furiously enraged at them, I kept pursuing them even to foreign cities. Paul went to foreign cities to look for Jewish Christians, to bring them back to Jerusalem and have them put to death. So the first thing that Paul tells us about his former life in Judaism was that in his pre-conversion days, he used to persecute the church of God. Intense, violent, murderous. Question is this, what does Paul's persecution of Christians have to do with Galatians 1 proving that the gospel of grace was revealed to him by God? Why is he telling us this? What's the point of knowing this? Well, it's really very simple. Paul was such a fanatic, in his opposition to the gospel of grace, that it is obvious that God is the only one who could have convinced him to change his mind and believe the gospel of grace. There is no way that Paul, then known as Saul, would have allowed any Christian to get close enough to him to witness to him. So when these false teachers, these Judaizers, accuse him of receiving his gospel from some past school of thinking or even from some current teacher, that's nonsense. They're so wrong; it's it's just ridiculous. Paul hated the gospel of grace. He tried to destroy it, not embrace it. That is ludicrous to say that Paul got this gospel from man. He hated the gospel he heard from men. But there is a second thing, in addition to persecuting the church, that serves as irrefutable proof that Paul received his gospel message from God. Notice verse fourteen. He writes. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries amongst my countrymen, being more extremely zealous for my ancestral traditions. Now, in this statement, Paul tells us that before his conversion to Christ, he was advancing in Judaism beyond any of his contemporaries, meaning this, that he was rapidly rising through the ranks of all the young Pharisees who were looking to get ahead in the system. In other words, he was on his way to being considered the number one and the greatest Pharisee of his day. In fact, Paul was making so much progress in climbing the ladder of success that he was even more radical than his teacher. I say that because in Acts 22.3, Paul is put in the place of defending himself before a Jewish mob in the city of Jerusalem. In his defense, he reveals to them that he was raised in that city. He was educated in that city. He was not born in Jerusalem, but he was raised in Jerusalem, educated under a man by the name of Rabbi Gamaliel. Gamaliel was the leading, if not the most prominent Jewish rabbi of that day. And Paul was his student. That was a great honor. That would be like in secular circles saying, "I, I went to Yale, I went to Harvard, I went to Princeton. It's just the cream of the crop. Paul was trained by Gamaliel. Rabbi Gamaliel, interestingly enough, is mentioned in Acts chapter five as a member of the Sanhedrin, the ruling Jewish council. Their word was law. And we read in Acts five that at a meeting, Gamaliel stands up and he cautions the rest of his council members to leave the apostles alone. They've beaten the apostles. They have forbid them to preach in the name of Jesus. Peter stands up and said that we have to obey God rather than men. They don't know what to do with these apostles. They're afraid of putting them to death because a lot of people are following them. So Gamaliel stands up and here's what he says. If this plan or action is of men, meaning this Christianity bit, is of men, it will be overthrown. But if it's of God, he said, you will not be able to overthrow it, or else you may be found fighting against God. Those are wise words. He's saying, if God is in this movement and this message about Jesus, there's nothing you can do to stop it, so just sit back and see what happens. That's very wise counsel. And certainly, Paul would have been at this meeting. He couldn't have cast his vote for anyone's death unless he was a member of the Sanhedrin. He certainly would have heard Gamaliel offer this wise advice, but he didn't take it. He didn't take it. Why? Because he was determined to outscore and outshine all of his fellow Pharisees. And so he tried to impress them all with his passion for Judaism by persecuting the church like nobody else. In his generation. But I want you to notice what it was specifically that drove Paul to hate Christians and the message of free grace and salvation in Christ. He tells us what it was at the end of verse 14. He says this, being more extremely zealous for my ancestral traditions. Paul admits that among all of his young Pharisee classmates who were seeking like him, as I said, to advance in their religious standing amongst their peers, he said he was the most fanatic. Why? Because, he writes, he was more zealous than any of them for the traditions of their ancestors, their their fathers. Now, what were these ancestral traditions that Paul was so zealous for? Understand this, he's not referring to the Bible, at least not directly to the Bible. He's not referring to what we would call the Old Testament he is referring to the oral and written applications and interpretations that came from the various rabbis over the years as they tried to implement, to apply the law of Moses to contemporary life. Not the Bible per se. The rabbis came along and said, okay, there's a law, but we have to, we have to write our rules and commandments about how you observe this law. And all of this just accumulated and accumulated and accumulated. And that's what Paul is talking about, the oral and the written interpretations. But the problem was that these commandments often contradicted the Bible itself. And they even carried more weight with the Jewish people than the written word of God. You see, that's why the Pharisees often clashed with Jesus. It really wasn't over the laws per se. It was over their interpretation of the law their applications of the law, especially in the area of the, of the Sabbath. Jesus did not disobey the Sabbath law. What he did was he went against their silly interpretations of the Sabbath law. Uh, that's what Jesus had violated, and they took it as violating Scripture, but it was not. Here's how one noted Bible teacher today explains these ancestral traditions that Paul was so zealous for. He writes this, and I quote, ancestral traditions refers to the body of oral teachings about the Old Testament law that came to have equal authority with the law, and I would add in many places more authority than even the law, commonly known as the halakha. This collection of Torah, which means law interpretations, became a fence around God's revealed law and all but hid it from view. Over a period of several hundred years, it had expanded into a mammoth accumulation of religious, moral, legal, practical, and ceremonial regulations that defied comprehension, much less total compliance. It contained such vast amounts of minutiae that even the most learned rabbinical scholars could not master it either by interpretation or in behavior. Yet the more complex and burdensome it became, the more zealously Jewish legalists revered and propagated it. And Paul is saying, I'm at the head of the list. I'm there. In his generation, he's telling us he was the most zealous Jewish legalist of them all. That's Paul. Now, before we move on in our study, I want us to just pause here for to, to consider two important issues that I want to bring to your interpretation based on what Paul has, has told us about his former life in Judaism. Number one is this. It's important for us to realize, and, and not to lose sight of this, that Paul's purpose in writing about his past life as a zealous Pharisee is to make a convincing argument, to convince the Galatians that the gospel of salvation that he preached was revealed to him by God and God alone. That's the point that he's making. And you never want to teach something and miss the point of the passage. This is the point. There was nothing in his pre-conversion days that indicated that he had any understanding in his heart, at least, or any sympathy with the gospel of salvation by faith in Christ. Everything in his life, folks, cried out against Christ and grace. He was like a raving lunatic in his hatred of Christians and their belief in salvation by faith in the Messiah. His entire orientation of life was keeping the law of Moses and all of these rabbinical traditions related to the law. See, Paul wasn't the least bit interested in salvation by faith alone. In fact, he was diametrically opposed to it. So what was it? that turned this man around and made him a believer in grace and a proclaimer of grace to the Galatians and to others. False teachers said, well, it's obvious. he was taught it by someone or that he learned it from someone else or that he invented it himself. Paul says, that is just ridiculous because I hated the gospel and I was of the mental state and attitude that no one could have gotten close enough to me to even share the gospel with me let alone me receive it. There's only one who could have changed my mind, and that one was God. And one was God. God had to reveal this message to him because there was no other way that this Christ-rejecting, Christian-hating, believer in salvation by works individual could have come up with the message of salvation by faith in Christ on his own. No way anyone else could have taught it to him. He would have killed them. He would have put them to death. So it was only because God had intervened in the Apostle Paul's life, while he was on the road to Damascus, saved him, commissioned him to be an apostle, and then revealed Christ to him and the gospel to him, that Paul's life was changed from a fanatic Pharisee to a preacher of grace and faith. Now that leads me then to a second and very significant issue, which I trust will be of great encouragement to all of us. And the issue is this, if the Lord could save the apostle Paul, as hardened as he was to the gospel, then you know what? He can save anyone. He can save anyone. Anyone that he chooses to save, he can save. There is no one so sinful or so hardened that cannot be converted. Now, from our perspective, we look and say, impossible for this person to come to faith. But that's our perspective. With God, all things are possible. God is the one who changes a heart. Most of us do know people who we would say are extremely hardened to the gospel. Might even be in your own family. They're so opposed to Christianity that you can't even talk to them about the gospel. Not anymore. They won't let you. And it is easy to conclude that this person will never come to faith in Christ. But don't make that conclusion. Don't make that conclusion. You don't know. Because if Paul can be converted as hard as he was towards Christ, then it ought to encourage you that the hardest person that you know can be converted to. Remember, Paul said he was the chief of sinners. That is an exact, inspired, accurate statement. There's nobody who's ever been worse than Paul. He was not exaggerating. Paul tried to eliminate Christianity, not just kill a few Christians. To my knowledge, no one person has ever attempted that but paul in fact paul speaks of his testimony and why he was saved in 1st timothy chapter 1 i think you'll be pleasantly encouraged to see this 1st timothy chapter 1 break in at verse 12 and we read this paul said i thank christ jesus our lord who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful putting me into service even though i was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor And a violent aggressor. Yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was more than abundant with the faith and love which are found in Christ Jesus. It is a trustworthy statement, deserving full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am foremost of all. Now let's stop here for a moment, but we'll pick it up in a few minutes. Paul tells us what he was like, but understand this: he was not like some of the Pharisees we have read about in the New Testament. Yes, Paul was fanatic, Paul was more zealous than all of them, but he was a little different in this sense. When we read about Jesus in the gospel accounts and the Pharisees who opposed him, these men, at least most of these Pharisees, they heard him teach To our knowledge, we don't know that Paul ever heard Jesus teach during his earthly ministry. But these other men heard Christ teach. They knew the truth about Jesus. They they saw his miracles. They knew who he was, and they deliberately chose to reject him, even though they knew him, knew who he was. They saw the miracles, and they said he's demonic. Paul wasn't like that. Paul was simply a zealous Pharisee who really believed with all of his heart that he was protecting God's honor by persecuting Christians. He was a religious fanatic who sincerely believed that the way to be saved was to earn it by keeping the Jewish laws, even though he was absolutely wrong and there's no excuse for for Paul. Paul said, I did it ignorantly. Paul really didn't know the truth, whereas many of the other Pharisees did know the truth. They chose to reject the truth. And Paul, sincere, but wrong. And God showed him how wrong he was by saving him. Notice what Paul proceeds to say uh, in 1 Timothy 1 about why God saved him in particular. Verse 16, this is just precious. Yet for this reason, I found mercy. So that, here's the reason Paul was saved. At least one of the reasons. So that in me, as the foremost, meaning foremost sinner, Jesus Christ might demonstrate his perfect patience as an example for those who would believe in him for eternal life. Why did the Lord save this man? The Lord saved Paul in order to put him on display for all generations to see of his example, God's example of his incredible patience and mercy in saving even the worst of sinners. That's why I say, Paul, see, no matter how much We've sinned, no matter how much you've sinned or someone you know has sinned, God can save them. Paul's living proof of that. He's not dead proof, by the way. He's alive. He's with the Lord. His life has been on display for 2,000 years for us to say, wow, if God can save this man, there's hope for anybody. Hope for anybody. Because Paul is living proof that God saves wretched sinners. Listen, you may have done so many things that you're ashamed of and you don't think that you can ever be forgiven, can ever be saved, but that's not true. Christ came into this world to save sinners, not righteous people, even the chief of sinners.
1: That's the heart of our lesson for today. If God can save a murderous, religious zealot like Paul, he can save anyone who turns to him. There is no sinner beyond the reach of God's saving grace. If today's lesson spoke to your heart and you'd like to know more about how to become one of Christ's followers and enjoy eternal life in heaven with Him, call us. I'll give you the phone number in a moment. You've been listening to Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Thank you for being in class today. Verse by Verse Ministries depends on listeners like you who have been blessed by these Bible studies. Would you consider becoming a prayer partner with us, asking God's blessing on each day's program, Your financial support would also be greatly appreciated. We need both in order to keep this ministry on the air. Contact us today. Our email address is contact at versebyverseradio.org. And our phone number is 727-239-0306. Our website is versebyverseradio.org. Once there, you can listen to this study and many others by clicking on the Message Archive tab. Download or stream as many as you like. They are free for the taking. We want to help you in your daily walk with Christ. Our phone number once again is 727-239-0306. This is Jerry Peterson. Before the man Saul met Jesus on his way to Damascus, he was completely different from the Apostle Paul he was about to become. What happened to change him so radically? In our next Verse by Verse, Pastor Steve Kreloff will show us from Scripture how it was God and God alone who made those changes in Paul.
0: Is not what saves you. Jesus is who saves you. So may I ask you today, have you decided to trust Jesus as your Savior? These were hours of decision, and this is an hour of decision for you today.
2: Faith Talk
1: 570 and 910 WTB